Hey guys, uh, I'm in Indianapolis preaching at one of the churches related to this conference I'm doing in July this weekend. A couple of times I got to go down there and preach and get things hyped up. So I'm preaching at a church in Brownsburg, Indiana. Um, and, and I do want to remind you, July 8th through the 11th in Indianapolis, the North American Christian Convention, uh, we're, we're in charge of it. And I'd love for you to be there. We have discounted uh, registration and hotels and all that kind of stuff for you. I'd love for you to come down and, and join us. Um, so I, I needed to invite a, you know somebody to come in. And, and, and preach for me, and I, I've been looking for an opportunity to have one of my best friends, Rick Russo, come in. Rick and his wife, Diane, are some of Denise and my best friends. Uh, they pastor at the church, uh, Lifebridge Church in, in Longmont, Colorado. He's the author of the Externally Focused Church, and he's going to share some of that kind of stuff with you this weekend. Uh, really, really important to help a lot of churches be able to figure out how to get their focus off of themselves and, and, and to serve, and so we're going to talk about that. Uh, good friends of ours also, Chaz and Chelsea, uh, our interns, Chaz as otherwise known as Deadly, and his wife Chelsea. These are Chelsea's parents, so I thought it'd be fun to be able to have them come in. And, and in honor of this special occasion, and now that I've been nominated for a Grammy Award and I'm a rock star, I decided to have Johnny B help me write a song. And, uh, and so this is our song dedicated to them. You can clap along if you want, because Chelsea's not very good at it. Rick and Diane, two American kids growing up in the hot land. Rick wanted to be a pastor star. Diane's the reason he got very far. Sing it with me. Oh yeah, life goes on. Long after the thrill of living is gone. Would you? It's uh, truly good to be here, I think. Uh, we, uh, we love your church, love your staff, and uh, so many things. And uh, uh, from Dine and I, we love the way you've loved our kids, and we really appreciate that. And uh, it is good to be here. I just wanted to, uh, you know, take a second and just, uh, I, I've not seen Tim in that rock role before. I've seen him in the redneck role, but never in the, in the rock role. So I uh, uh, just love Tim and Denise and, and what he's doing and how God's using them. And, and you have a lot to uh, be proud of and blessed by and encouraged by. And I want to encourage you to encourage him as he's leading this convention, because there's just a whole lot that goes with that. But uh, let's take a moment and pray. Ask God to speak into our lives. Would you pray that silently? I'll pray aloud for us uh, as we come before the Lord. Father, just thank you. Thank you for the privilege you have of gathering in this place. And, and Lord, you know the stuff going on in our lives. And, and Father, I pray that, um, that you would meet us in the middle of those things. And, and Lord, help me to set aside the things that would keep me from hearing from you. And Lord, would you uh, speak into my life today? We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. I used to uh, live in Fort Myers, Florida. 
but I worked in Cincinnati, Ohio. I was commuting. I would leave on Sunday nights and uh, fly up to Cincinnati and back home on Thursdays uh, down to Florida. And because I was commuting so much, I was traveling on an airline that was uh, uh, like the Walmart of airlines. They were called Florida Express. They've long gone out of business, but they would go up and down the East Coast on all these cheap flights uh, down. It was so cheap that when you got to the gate, they would say, how many of you have ever flown before? And if you raised your hand, you got to sit up with the pilot and go through a little checklist thing with him. And I mean, it was that kind of airline. And I fly a whole bunch and I'm not one of those nervous flyers. In fact, a lot of times I don't even uh, pay much attention uh, to realizing the plane's in the air. I've been reading or doing something and, and uh, didn't know we'd taken off. I was going down the runway late one night uh, out of uh, Fort Myers and uh, all of a sudden I realized that this plane, Florida Express, we weren't in the air yet and we should be. I started looking out the window. I was seeing stuff I'd never seen before at Regional Southwest and, and, uh, and finally the pilot just backed the engines off and we just came, came to this rolling stop at the end of the runway. And for several minutes he sat and he revved the engines up and down, up and down. And, and, uh, and if you fly much, you're not going to believe we did this. It was late at night. There was no traffic, no wind. And, and the pilot turned the plane and we started going the other direction down the runway. Like, like maybe it was downhill or something. Everybody on the plane was leaning forward like we were going to help it somehow. And, and this time, uh, about halfway down, he just slams on the brakes and backs off the engines. We come to this kind of shuddering stop. And he sits there, revving the engines up and down. Now, at this point, everybody on the plane is paying attention. Seated next to me was a woman in her mid-70s. And she had never, ever been on a plane before. She was going up to Dayton to visit family. But she was the only person on the plane not nervous. She'd never done this. I think she was thinking, well, you know, they warm this puppy up a few times before they <laughs> take it off. And finally, the pilot came on. He said, folks, we're going back in the terminal to change aircraft because there's something wrong with our plane. Whoa, really? Eh. And then he said this. He said, we're gonna change planes because it's our policy at Florida Express. If there's something wrong with the plane, we don't fly. <laughs> that is a marvelous <laughs> policy for an airline, isn't it? But it's really kind of a terrible motto to live by, isn't it? Because you and I are actually invited to take risk all the time, whether uh, that's a risk in a relationship or a risk in our jobs, or for us, maybe it's a risk in, in uh, what we're doing at school or some opportunity. We are invited to get out of our comfort zone. In fact, if you're a believer, if you're a follower, if you're a Christian, I'm not going to assume we all are, but if you are, and God is inviting you to take some risks, to step out of what you've grown comfortable with. I love that Parkview is one of those places that's a safe place to hear a dangerous message because I think the message of grace is a dangerous message. That God loves us, cares for us, wants to have a relationship with us. Now, I didn't grow up in the church. In fact, we can look back a long ways in our family before we can find anybody who really has any connection to a church. We would, we would attend like on an Easter service if we weren't busy, but we had no connection to faith. And, um, and my mom and dad uh, grew up in both pretty dysfunctional families. They got married at 19, and they decided they were going to do something different from their family. They were going to move out of the city and, and, uh, and end up in another uh, kind of a better environment away from family. Because my mom's uh, mom, my grandmother, ran away and joined the circus when she was 16. And I realized she was probably now running away from some hurt or pain. But my grandmother got married eight or nine times, didn't get divorced that many times. We, we were regularly meeting new grandfathers along the way. 
And, and my dad's dad uh, couldn't keep a job, really. And my dad had moved 14 times by the time he was in eighth grade. And, and, um, and just a lot of uh, dysfunction. And so they decided they were going to do this different. They moved out to this little suburb. And it just so happened to be a place where some guys from Ohio had come and planted a little church. And this little church had grown up to 50 or so people. And they owned this little piece of ground and built a little church building. And it just so happened to be in the neighborhood where we uh, had moved to. And, and that, that neighborhood uh, churchyard was the largest yard. It's where we always went and played sports and did stuff. I got to meet the minister there a number of times. Uh, sometimes he'd come out to break up a fight or to ask which one of us was going to pay for the window we'd just broken. And that was in a day when ministers would go calling. You know, they would go house to house, knocking on doors. And, and when he would come to our house and ring the doorbell, my dad would say, shh, everybody quiet. We'd sit in the house, you know, and wait for him to leave. I always thought it was a game we were playing, only to find out Actually, it was a game we were playing. I was in high school when some friends of mine from that church said, hey, we're on a retreat this weekend. You should go with us. And, and I went. And it was the very first time I'd heard there was a God who loved me, cared for me, wanted to fix the hole in my heart, wanted to take me warts, wounds, and wobbles. Now, I'm a bit of a skeptic and still am in so many ways, and it took me a while to come to faith, but I, I did come to know Christ as my Savior and, and experienced His grace in my life. And then it wasn't long after that my mom and dad became Christians, and not long after that my sister, who uh, just a short time after was killed in a car accident with a drunk driver, she became a follower. And and then my mom's mom that she'd reconciled with became a follower. And my grandparents became Christians. And several of my aunts and uncles. Grace changed our family. And God invited us to, to get out of what we had grown comfortable with. To not only discover that grace, but to grow in that grace. And, and to live gracefully. Let it show up in our lives. God loves us. We're going to look at a story this morning. I love some of Jesus' stories. One of these is very familiar to you, whether you've ever been to church before or not. It's found in the book of Luke. Luke chapter 10. If you have your Bibles, I want to invite you to turn there. And Luke is, is one of the narratives, one of the stories of Jesus, one of the gospel writers. In Luke chapter 10, uh, an expert in the law comes to Jesus with a question. Let me pick it up in verse 25. On one occasion, an expert in the law stood up to test Jesus. Teacher, he asked, what must I do to inherit eternal life? What's written in the law, he replied. How do you read it, Jesus said. And the man answered, love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength, with all your mind, and love your neighbor as yourself. You've answered correctly, Jesus replied. Do this and you will live. Here's what Jesus said. In another encounter very similar to this, Jesus said, these two things matter. Love God and love your neighbor. Everything else that God has said hangs on these two things. If you want the door of your life to swing freely, hinge on those two things. Love God and love your neighbor. And to love God, that's, that makes sense, doesn't it? I mean, after all, God loves us. He extended his goodness to us. He extended his grace to us. God's forgiven us. He's taken us warts, wounds, and wobbles. God loves us. And so I ought to be loving him back. And I do love God. And through the years, I've worked hard on trying to love God better in my life, to find uh, how today I can love God a little better today than I did yesterday. What's that look like for us? Because when Jesus said, love God with all your heart and soul and mind and strength, he was inviting us to love God with every fiber of our being. And sometimes that's not easy, is it? I mean, because I love God, but I also love other things. I love, I love my wife, Diane. 
I love my kids. I love my grandkids. We have, we have three granddaughters, and, and grandkids are the reason you're glad you didn't kill your kids when they were growing up. I mean, that's awesome. I love them. They're so much fun. I, I love Italian food. I, I, I love the Buffalo Bills. And, and being a Buffalo Bills fan is very much like being a Chicago Cubs fan. You know, there's hope for like the first two weeks of the season, and then after that, it's all done. I love, I love Oreo cookies. I, I love them. I love Oreo cookies. And sometimes I love Oreos more than I love God. Whatever your bag of Oreos happens to be. That thing that gets in the way of us loving God with every fiber of our being. And then Jesus ramps this up and he says, not only do I want you to love God, but I want you to love your neighbor. Oh, I love my neighbor. I, I don't even like my neighbors. <laughs> I mean, take a quick glance of the person seated near you. Just look over. They're hard to love. <laughs> I mean, there's stuff about them that is unlovable. <laughs> love God and love your neighbor? And that's the risk I think God is calling us to. If we know his grace, I'm so grateful for his grace that changes us. That I don't earn, I don't buy, I don't deserve, I, I can't, I don't get enough credits. That God simply loves me. I love how Paul said that in Ephesians chapter 2, verse 8 and 9. For it is by grace we've been saved through faith, and that not of ourselves, it is a gift from God, not of works that any one of us should boast. That God is inviting us to know his grace. And if we know that grace, then to live with it in our lives, for it to overflow from our lives, for it to be seen in our lives. And Jesus said, how is that seen? It is seen when you love God and you love your neighbors. And God is inviting us. I think he's calling us today to be more engaged in loving our neighbors than we ever have before. It's interesting what's happening in the U.S. today. We're seeing more and more uh, cultural drift away from any kind of uh, biblical uh, truth or any kind of moral absolutes. In fact, we live in kind of a free-for-all society. Whatever you want to do is okay. As long as we all just get along with each other. And the church today is, is losing ground. Now, there are churches like Parkview that are having incredible influence and growth, but the truth is the big C church in America we're at the lowest attendance we've ever had in America as they measure attendance. Commitment from people who say we're Christ followers is as low as it's ever been. And we have almost zero voice in what's happening going around us in the world. At LifeBridge, we would say it this way. There's a stream that's been running by the front door of our church, and we didn't like what was happening in that stream. There's chunks of stuff, and it's gotten muddy and murky. And so what has the church done over the last six or seven decades in America? We backed up out of the church, and we created our own stream kind of behind the church. We didn't like what was going on in public schools, so we started our own uh, Christian schools. We didn't like what was happening in music, so we got Christian music. We didn't like what was going on in, in business organizations, so we started Christian business clubs. And we got Christian everything today. You know, we got Christian music and Christian books and Christian underwear and Christian breath mints, and we got all of it. And yet, we're having very little influence in what's happening because I think God is inviting us to get in that stream going by the front door, and that's a risky thing. For us to find ways to love God, 
to gather like this, and I love when we gather, and gathering is a command of God, and it's important, and I'm grateful that you're here, and I hope you'll continue to, to plug in because we get encouraged here. We honor God here. We lift up Christ. We worship together. But also, when we scatter, how are we living with grace? Are we really loving our neighbors? And so this expert in the law who comes to Jesus says to him, well, exactly who is my neighbor? You know, if he's an attorney, he's going to look for the fine print in the contract. And I want to know who, if I'm going to love my neighbor, I ought to know, is it everybody that lives in the same city I do? How about everybody that's in my HOA or, or in my cul-de-sac? Who is my neighbor exactly? And Jesus tells this story, a very familiar story, the Good Samaritan. I'm not going to reread it for you. Let me just kind of capsulize it. There's a man going down from Jerusalem to Jericho and he gets mugged on the way. He gets robbed, left on the road, half beaten. Uh, he's dead, almost dead, and, and naked and bleeding. And Jesus tells a story that a priest comes by. And who's the priest? The priest is kind of the guy with the corner market on the love God, love your neighbor thing, right? He's the one that should have this down. He's the one that, that ought to figure out how he loves his neighbor. And the priest sees this guy, and he, he goes by on the other side. And then a Levite comes, and a Levite was like a like a biblical scholar, someone who knew the scriptures, almost like maybe a theologian or a professor, a teacher. Again, the corner market on God, the one who ought to know the whole commandment about loving God and loving your neighbor, kind of the one that ought to be showing up out there and doing it, and he sees this guy and he passes by on the other side. And then as Jesus tells the story, he says, and then comes a Samaritan. Now, if you remember, Samaritans and Jews hated each other. In fact, if you were in the marketplace and a Samaritan walked by you and their shadow ran across your feet somehow, you were unclean. You, you, you couldn't hang out with your family for a whole day. They hated each other. And it's the Samaritan who sees this guy and he helps him out and takes care of him. And Jesus says, now there's my idea of a good neighbor. Now, early on for me, I used to give a hard time to the priest and the Levite because they kind of represented the church. And I saw the church being so disconnected and disengaged and ignoring the needs until I recognized that I asked a question uh, that they were asking and that our church often asked a question that the priest and the Levite were asking. And here's that question. What's going to happen to me if I stop to help? I mean, what's going to happen if I get, maybe I'll get mugged. Maybe I'll, I'll get off my agenda. Maybe I really can't love God or love my neighbor if I stop to help this guy. I'm on my way to my small group to talk about loving God and loving neighbors. I can't help this dude out here. And the Samaritan asked an entirely different question. The Samaritan was saying, what's going to happen to this guy if I don't stop and help? And when our church started down that path 15 or 16 years ago, it, it, it did a number of things for us. And not all of them were easy. But it forced us to start paying attention to not only what was going on inside our walls, but what was happening outside of our walls. And were we not just coming to church, but were we being the church in our community? What, what did that look like? So there's a couple things this Good Samaritan did that, that I want to just give them to you, the real practical stuff that every one of us could start doing uh, this afternoon. Look at down in verse 33, the very first thing he did. But a Samaritan, as he traveled, came where the man was, and when he saw him, he took pity on him. When he saw this guy, he took pity on him. In other words, he opened up his eyes, he saw the need, and that word pity means he had compassion or deep sympathy for this man. I was amazed at how often I did not see some of the stuff going on around our community. How often, unfortunately, that I, I sized people up 
And I placed a value on them based on, on some external thing, either something I cared about or the way they looked or acted or some behavior that I either liked or didn't like. I was amazed at how often I didn't even actually see people, just looked right through them. I wonder what would happen if you and I would open our eyes a little bit to what's around. So I want to try something this morning. I'm going to show you a video, and there's no sound with this video. It runs less than a minute. And there are two teams of basketball players in this video. There's a team, uh, three kids, teenagers. They're passing a basketball. One has, uh, team has white shirts. One team has black shirts. And I want you to count the number of times they pass the basketball. From this side of the room over, you're going to count the white shirt team. From this side of the room over, you're going to count the black shirt team. And just how many times they pass the basketball. Now, here's the rules. Count to yourself, because that's confusing to the people next to you, okay? It's going to go over 10. I'm going to count, give you a heads up right here. If you need to get your shoes off, start there. We'll give you a second for that. And there is no sound, so please don't make any sound yourself. Let the whole thing run, and, uh, and we'll see how we do. You're counting white shirts. You're counting black shirts. Let's watch the video. Okay, before we get a number, I want you to raise your hand and I want you to raise it high if you did not see the gorilla come onto the screen and beat his chest. Would you raise your hands high? Yeah, a whole bunch of all over the room here. 61% of us, in fact, according to the researchers at University of Illinois, say that we don't see the gorilla and they call it this, inattentional blindness. In other words, we get our focus on one thing and we fail to see something else going on around us. And I'm afraid that happens so often to us in the church where we get our focus on all the stuff we're doing and we fail to see the opportunities that exist all around us. So just so that you don't think I'm lying, okay? I'm gonna run the video again here. It, it runs uh, 58 seconds, I think. 35 seconds, go ahead and run that. 50, 35 seconds in. Uh, the gorilla's going to come, but you're focused on the, those kids passing the ball, right? And you miss this gorilla. Here he comes. <laughs> he turned and smiled at you and beat his chest. He's on the screen for nine seconds, okay? Again, would you raise your hand if you did not see that the first time? Isn't that amazing? Here's what happens. So many of us look right through and miss needs. A couple of years ago, about probably 15 now, one of our staff members was doing a devotional book with his young girls, and they got to a section about praying for widows and orphans. And, and they said, well, we know some widows. We have widows in our family. We have some widows in our neighborhood. We even know some widows in our church. And so they started praying for those uh, ladies. And and they said, well, we don't really know any orphans, because after all, there aren't really orphanages in the U.S. anymore. I mean, other parts of the world, you know, uh, Kenya, Ukraine, uh, maybe Malawi, but not, not in the U.S. And, but then they found out that the foster care system was actually a huge need and a big deal, and it is a big issue in the States today. 
And so they, they started praying for foster care kids, and that led them to becoming uh, foster care parents, and that led them asking our church, I wonder if there's anything we could do uh, to help foster care uh, in our community. And, and so as a church, we said, well, let's think about that. And we went to uh, the officials in our city and in our county. And now I live near Boulder, Colorado, and Boulder is 20 square miles surrounded by reality. I mean, we got every fruit and nut possible thing that you could have. And, and we have, we have uh, maybe unlike here, we have a lot of people who are against the church, actually. In fact, uh, we call them ABC people, anything but church. They're good. I mean, you can do anything, stare at your navel, whatever, but nothing. We don't want the church, right? Not interested. The lady who was running Child Protective Services for Boulder County was, was kind of one of those ABC folks. And she said, well, I can't see anything how the church could help us out with this issue. I don't even see where there'd be any connection. But one of her assistants said, well, what if we hosted one of our seminars in their building over in Longmont and invited some people to come and maybe, uh, maybe people might volunteer to become uh, foster care uh, families. And as a result, uh, that first meeting grew to second meeting. And today, now, over, over 12 years uh, later, our church provides half of the foster care homes in our county. A couple years ago, a couple years ago, we recognized another need in a segment of foster care, and that is kids who are getting ready to age out of the system. If a child ages out of the system, there's an 89% chance that they'll end up either in prison, uh, homeless, addicted, or pregnant if they're a young lady. And so we said, well, what would happen if we got involved in helping the kids who are emancipated from their parents find a forever family, either, either an adoptive family or a family who would take them in permanently? And two years ago, uh, there were over 2,000 kids who had that need. Today, uh, with the things that we've been doing at LifeBridge around the state of Colorado with other faith communities, um, there are less than 300 kids uh, who need a home. And our goal is to be the first state uh, in the U.S. who has more homes available than a child who needs a home. In fact, one of our staff members was in the state of Virginia on Friday because Virginia has asked if our church would help them sort out this foster care issue. What happens when we open our eyes, there's an opportunity for grace to be extended to stuff we'd never seen before. Well, here's the second thing uh, this guy did. He got his hands dirty, down in verse 34. He went to him and bandaged his wounds, pouring on oil and wine. If you and I are gonna get involved in the stream going by the front door, if we're gonna live gracefully in our neighborhoods and in our schools and our workplaces, I gotta tell you, it's a messy business, isn't it? Because hurt people hurt people, don't they? And sometimes bleeding people bleed on us. And sometimes all the half-dead, naked, bleeding people aren't laying on the side of the road. Sometimes they work across the hallway from us or, or they sit next to us in school or they live next door to us. And you and I ought to be paying attention to the afternoons, but it is going to be a messy business. Now, I don't know what's happened to me over the last few years, but, but I've become a bit of a germaphobe. I, 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 I get like, you know, I don't really want to shake hands anymore because I know what you're going to do. I, you want to come up and shake my hand, but I've been watching you come down the aisle. You're doing this and... And then right before you get there, you go like this, and like, I don't know how to, you know, and some of you are like huggers, you know, and I'm like, I'm a one-arm hugger, like, like this. I got trapped in your bathroom out here this morning, almost was late for service, because you got you the doorknobs, you got pulled to get out after you've been in there. It's a good thing one of you came in. I'd still be standing there staring at the door. <laughs> if I would have had to do mouth-to-mouth -mouth with this guy laying on the road, it would have been like this. <laughs> you know, I mean, I... I don't want to get that close, right? But the truth is, 
Our neighbors need us to be that close. And it's a messy business. We're going to get engaged in the things that God's doing. Hurt people hurt people, and sometimes they hurt us. And if I wait till someone gets their act together and cleaned up and straightened up and gets themselves off the side of the road and bandaged up and puts on good clothes, I've missed an opportunity to love God and love my neighbor. Here's the third thing that happened to this guy down in verse 34. He put the man on his own donkey, took him to an inn, and took care of him. He was inconvenienced. I'm betting he didn't get up that morning and say to his wife, hey, I want you to pray for me. I gotta go down to Jericho to do some business, and I hope I find some dude laying on the road half dead, naked, and bleeding, because I'd like to chunk up about eight hours of my day and give away some cash. So pray that that happens. I'll bet behind his little donkey, one in a trailer that said, the half dead, naked, bleeding, 501c3, please send us some money. I bet he was doing what you and I are gonna do this afternoon or tomorrow. We're gonna head on our way to our lives, our jobs, our work, our neighborhood, our schools, and then there's going to be this need, and we get to choose at that point, don't we? We get to choose whether or not we're going to be engaged, because it is never convenient. And so as a church, we decided we were going to get involved in issues related to at-risk kids, and and one of those was that we weren't going to start a Christian school. We got asked to do that years ago, and we said, no, let's just find ways to plug into the public schools. And over the years, we've had a growing relationship with our public schools, running after-school programs and doing a number of other things. But several years ago, the administrator of our school district, superintendent, came and said, you know, we've got a real issue going on uh, with kids dropping out of school. And he said this, and I didn't know this stat before, up until the third grade, a child learns, uh, reads, uh, learns to read, excuse me. And after the third grade, they read to learn. And if a child can't read at a third grade level, by the time they get out of third grade, there is over a 78% chance that they are going to drop out of school before their high school years are up. In fact, there are states that are planning their future prison populations by the number of third graders in their state that can't read at a third grade level. And so we said, we'll help out with that. And so we started providing mentors uh, to these kids, these at-risk kids. And today, we've got over 300 people who uh, spend an hour or two a week in the public schools uh, working with kids. Uh, my wife, Diane's a mentor to a young girl. She's actually been with her since third grade. She's now in the sixth grade. And there's been a great connection uh, with her and their family and the school and someone who's just positively speaking into life. And I got to tell you, it's never convenient. It is never convenient if we're going to choose to get engaged in what's going on around us. Here's the fourth thing this guy did. He put the man on his donkey, took him to an inn, and took care of him. I'm guessing along the way he got to know his name and heard his story. Because what I've discovered is the disenfranchised of our world want our friendship more than they want anything else. And it's only through our friends that we have the opportunity for someone to speak into our lives, right? Let's suppose that this morning um, uh, Tim was here. I know he's in Indianapolis, but let's suppose he was here and he came up to me and he said, man, that shirt you're wearing, dude, I don't know like, where you got that thing from, but it doesn't work. You need to get some new clothes. You need some new... Now, first of all, I probably wouldn't pay much attention because Tim has zero fashion sense. And <laughs> why would I listen to that? But... But here's what would happen. I would listen to Tim. It might make me mad. It might make me angry. I might debate him. I might talk about his fashion time. I might pout. But we've done enough life together. We've been friends long enough. We've laughed together and cried together and prayed together and talked about kids stuff together. And we've done a lot together. He's earned the right to speak into my life. Now let's suppose one of you says to me, 
hey, that shirt you're wearing, dude, here's what'll happen. We're going to go to lunch here in a little bit, Chaz and Chelsea and Diane and I, and I hope we go somewhere Italian. <laughs> and, and we'll talk about how things went, and Diane will say, hey, how'd the services go? And I'll tell her, I had a great time, loved being there. Oh, and there was one idiot <laughs> that did not like my shirt. Because you don't have the relationship strength to speak into my life. And I think that's what's happened to us in the church. There's this stream going by the front door right out here. And we've backed up and backed up and backed up and backed up. And we're all good kind of hanging out with each other. And we're missing out on the very thing that God has called us into to love him and to love our neighbors. And who's our neighbor? They're all around you. Well, the last thing this guy did, in fact, sometimes it's actually the first thing I do, was he took out two silver coins, gave them to the innkeeper, look after him. He said, and when I return, I'll reimburse you for any extra expense you may have. He gave some money. I'm all for giving money, and I'm grateful for the things our church is engaged in and Diane and I choose to support. Those are meaningful and helpful things. But here's what I discovered about me, and it was also true for our church. That we wrote a lot of checks, but we never really got engaged. And sometimes I wrote the check personally because I I felt better after I wrote the check. And we made a decision a while back as a church that that we were not going to give money to things that we weren't also going to get our hands dirty with, that we weren't going to find ways to be engaged. In fact, even our mission stuff, we won't do something across the sea that we're not willing to try to find a way to connect with and do in our own backyard. Because I think sometimes it's too easy for us just to write the check and think we did our part. And and all those places need our resources and money. Don't misunderstand. But I know that God is inviting me to do more than just throw a few silver coins across, but rather to get engaged in what's going on around me. And so I want to encourage you, this this weekend, as you're heading toward Easter, your church is doing this this Just Try It, and it's about some of the service things that will happen over Easter. Easy entryway for you to connect in, get to know some other people, and I'm convinced you don't grow until you serve. And so I hope you'll get this out, put your name on here. There should be zero risk for you to try this out over Easter weekend and connect. But I hope that you'll go beyond this as you connect here and look for ways how God can use you in your own neighborhood, in your own workplace, in your own school to be making a difference somewhere because actually this guy did one other thing early in the story he saw the guy he got off his donkey and he helped him out wouldn't it be great if the church if you and me if we quit coming to church and we started being the church if we would actually just get off our our donkey what could happen for a kingdom thing around us Jesus said, two things matter most. Love God and love your neighbor. And if Ephesians 2, 8, 9 that we talked about earlier is true for you, I won't assume it's true for you, but if it is true for you, then so is verse 10. If you're a follower, if you're a believer, if you're a Christian, Ephesians 2, 10 is also true for you. And here's what God says. For we are God's workmanship created in Christ to do good things that God prepared in advance for us to do. In other words, there's a part of his story he's counting on you. It's not just for those of us who are up front here. It's not just for people who are on the staff here at Parkview. It is for every one of us that God is a part of his story. He's counting on, planning on, hoping for you to engage in stuff that he's already written in advance for you to do. 
And so today and tomorrow and throughout this week, what would happen if we kept our eyes open? What would happen if we loved God a little better today than we did yesterday and loved our neighbor a little better today than we did? What would happen if you were the best neighbor your neighbor ever had? What would it look like if you actually looked for a way and the opportunities that God's prepped already ahead for you to be part of writing his story? Well, I told you my dad grew up in a family where his dad took a, a lot of jobs and and uh, didn't stick with any. And my dad decided he was going to do that different. So at 18, he went to work for Bristol-Myers Pharmaceutical Company, sweeping floors with his eighth grade education. And he stayed there for over 35 years and worked his way up into middle management. He had the opportunity to take early retirement, so he chose to do that. And, and on the day of his la- last day at work, I uh, called home ahead of time and said to mom, hey, don't tell dad I'm coming, but I want to come and just say thanks. Uh, thanks for giving us a leg up. Thanks for making a difference. Thanks for going to the same place for all those years um, and, and, and giving us an opportunity to have a better life. And, and I said to my mom, and, and tell dad you'll pick him up that day. And so she picked me up from the airport. We went over to where my dad works, and, and I watched my dad come out of his office. And he, had, he was coming out of an outside staircase. He had his box of stuff, you know, from his office he'd packed up. And I knew it would be a mixed emotion day. Glad to be starting something new, but sad to be leaving a people in place he'd been with for so long. He had his head down. He was coming through the security gate, the same security gate that I remember picking him up at uh, when I was a kid. I was on the other side. As he started coming through the gate, I started clapping. He looked up to see who the idiot was, saw it was me, and... We had a great time reunion that night and the next day, and then I flew home that following afternoon. And a couple weeks later, I, I got this thank you card from my dad. It's actually kind of a silly-looking thank you card. And he says some really nice things in here to me about coming and how proud and what a surprise and how much he cherished that. And then he closed out his note to me this way. Someday when this life is over for me here on earth, maybe God will let me stand at the gate and applaud you on your last day of work. And to welcome you home. And here's the deal. You and I may never, ever, ever hear the words of appreciation. We may never get the thank you or the applause from somebody that we think maybe we should. But if you know his grace, if you've loved God and loved your neighbor, on the day you draw your last breath, the Father of the universe is going to stand at the gate and applaud you and say to you, well done. It ain't got to a point I wouldn't ask for no help. If I couldn't do it myself, it just didn't get done. If you ask for help, People look at you like you're a piece of dirt, especially when you're homeless. So I had got to the point where I wouldn't ask for no help. If I couldn't do it, it just gonna get done. I suffer I go hungry, I stay sleeping in the street. If you see a homeless person, all homeless people are not on drugs. All homeless people are not alcoholics. And you will never know what the real reason that I'm out here unless you stop and ask. We got doctors that's homeless. 
You got psychiatrists that's homeless. You got people that's just like me. We out there because we was forced out there, not because we wanted to be out there. I was forced out there in 1984 when my mother had my kids taken away from me because I wouldn't give her $2,000. I left the west side and been downtown ever since. For a while, I was stuck. Don't get me wrong, I was stuck. I, I didn't want to do nothing. I didn't want to clean myself. I didn't want to eat. I didn't want to do nothing. And I didn't. And I wound up getting raped. Okay, I had my girls, so I had to start thinking about the life within me. You got some really cruel people. You got means out there want to have sexual favors for them in order for them to help you. You got women that want you to do other things for them instead of them helping you. Keep it. God got me, I do without. So what I did is I got up. I started going back and forth to different shelters, which shelters suck. I wouldn't even send a rat to a shelter. I'd rather sleep on the streets or sleep on the train than go to a shelter. So I started picking myself up. I started uh, collecting cans, copper, brass, and everything, and then I started getting sick. The last one was stomach cancer. That was the worst one I had. I'm going to the hospital, you're going to tell me what's wrong with me, I ain't leaving till you tell me. So that's how I wind up catching it early. But I prayed, and I prayed. Still losing weight because I'm still kind of sick, but I'm blessed. I'm agreed to good morning. Welcome to Parkview. that smile, the warm feeling that I got here, God told me it was time. And that's how I wound up getting here and it feels great. I helped a young lady that was hungry and didn't have no food. So why should I not feed her? I can't eat it. I had seven teeth pulled out of my mouth. So I gave it to her. <laughs> this is my church. Isn't she great? I love that story. Well, it's the time in our service we're going to celebrate communion. And communion's all about that grace that Rick talked about earlier in his message. The grace that, that fills us up. And it's because this is the time that we remember the most ultimate sacrifice that's ever been made. We remember the, the fact that God has sent his son Jesus to, bought, to die on our behalf so that we might have new life, this grace that fills us up and propels us to live differently. So uh, whether, whether you're a member of Parkview or whether this is your first time, if you're a believer in Jesus Christ and are following him, we invite you to partake with us. In just a few moments, the trays will be passed. In the trays, there are two cups. Go ahead and grab both cups and wait, and we'll all partake together. So let's pray. 
God, we love you. We thank you for this morning. We thank you for the grace that you give us. And uh, God, it's now in these moments where, where we pause and we reflect on personally what that means for us That's each individually and corporately as a church uh, that you sent your grace, you sent your son to die on our behalf so that we might know you. Thank you. And it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.